This series, this is the third part, is about the life of a man named Jacob, and we're calling it the confidence paradox. See, we're invited, the Apostle Paul says, to live a life of being always confident. Let me just pause and say, that doesn't mean something won't go wrong. It just means you're absolutely confident, not in yourself, that God will enable you with his grace to get through it. Whatever life throws at you, I'm confident I am more than able with his help to get through anything life will throw at me. It doesn't mean all the good things are going to happen to you because you're a man of faith or you're confident. But I'm confident God is for you. He's for me. He's promises to be my rear guard, the lifter of my head, my fortress, my rock, my buckler, my shield, and my strength. Come on. Come on. Get intimidated a little. I mean, intimidating to the enemy. Quit being the one running all the time. So we're invited to live a life of always being confident. Now, we live in a world, you would agree, where there is a lot of insecurity, so much fear, and so much self-doubt. You know, it's easy to attach ourselves, any of us, to things that provide a false sense of security. Uh, things we believe would give us a solid, if I had this much money, if I had this house, this car, if I had this, if I had that, and we think that'll give me confidence. But in the end, it, it doesn't seem to produce. They don't seem, things, stuff, doesn't seem to take away that anxiety or fear or self-doubt. So this weekend, as we look into Jacob's life, we're going to see the way in which that takes hold of Jacob in a very profound way. Now, in many ways, we're going to see it not, it's not just about what happens in Jacob's life, but what doesn't happen in old Jacob's life. Two weeks ago, we saw Jacob's dysfunctional family at work. Wow. It makes me appreciate my strange family and some of you as well. I thought, well, it might have been bad, but it wasn't that bad. He's got a father who prefers his older brother Esau. He's got a mother who prefers him, and she plotted with Jacob to take the family blessing from his brother Esau. So he's got his brother Esau, who now feels betrayed and deceived, and he's set on basically killing Jacob. So Jacob has to run away from home. He runs away, and he lives for a number of years with his uncle Laban, who's a bigger crook than Jacob is. I mean, he's a con man of con men, even on Jacob. So if you were here last weekend, you heard that he kind of started a dysfunctional family of his own. You see, when you don't deal with the past, the past always finds its way back into our present. Now, if you know the story, he ends up falling in love with a woman named Rachel, but he ends up marrying a woman named Leah, her sister. Then he ends up marrying Rachel later in life. This gets worse. Then the two wives get into this childbearing contest to see who can produce the most children which will sway Jacob's love. They even have Jacob sleep with their maids to see who can produce the most children. It's like real housewives of the Bible right here. Jacob's life is kind of a mess. And what's most painful about this mess is just not the way his life can seem, but in many ways, it's a disappointment. It's, it's not just what it is, it's what it could have been that it's not. Gee, I don't want to die with coulda, shoulda, woulda. I, I don't want to die slobbering on myself on some bedpan, if only. No, and that's going to happen right here. You don't want to live that way. You don't want to die that way. So it's not that Jacob was too lazy. He's a hard worker. 
It's not that he didn't go to Harvard. It's not that he didn't run a successful business. It's not based on all the ways you and I would evaluate or rate a life. Jacob is actually part of a unique family. He carries a unique promise from God that was unlike anything else in the ancient world. The ancient world was pagan. God's now appearing first to Abraham and then to his son and his son's son. So his grandfather was a man named Abraham. God came to Abraham long before Jacob was ever born and gave him a unique promise that I want to read right now. This is the context, Genesis 12, and it reads, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on the earth shall be blessed through you. Now, I hope you notice a certain word that gets repeated over and over in that text. It's the word bless. God wants to bless Abraham, not just Abraham, but his family, and not just his family, but the entire world through him. God wants to bless. Now, I've heard that word bless defined as to will and to work for the good of another. Think about that. God wants to will and work for your good, and he wants to do that for this man named Abraham. Not just Abraham, but his whole family line, which is yet to be born and to come. So he repeats this promise to Isaac. And listen to what God says to Isaac, Abraham's son. This is Genesis 26, verse 3. I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath, or the promise, I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and did what I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. Wow, well, that's not a bad deal. I mean, when I was growing up, best you could hope for in school was like most likely to succeed. And only one person got that. But this is such a significant promise. I will bless you. I will will and work for your good. Wow. Now just imagine me and Jacob growing up in that family. And just imagine hearing those stories as a young child. And imagine the expectations you would have for your life. The sense of significance you would want for your life. The sense of success you desire for your life. All going back to those four simple words. I will bless you. Those words captivate Jacob. You know, God begins with the phrase, I will bless you. And by the way, may I just say this? When he talks about curse, for you guys and religious people, it's not cuss. To curse is to speak and to wish evil on someone. I hope they get and die. I hope this falls apart. That's a curse. It's not cussing, okay? Okay, I'm, I'm telling you, religious people, what they do with Scripture just amazes me. Uh, okay, I mean, Peter walked with Jesus three and a half years, and he cussed. But uh, you're not listening, are you? Yeah. <laughs> this is real life in the Bible, okay? I'm not advocating. I'm just trying to show real life here. To curse is to speak evil and to will evil for somebody else. But God says, I will bless you. 
Notice he doesn't evaluate you. He doesn't say, I will evaluate you. He doesn't begin with, I will judge you. He doesn't begin with, I will be cruel or harsh or mean to you. No, I will bless you. And not because of anything you've done, because you haven't done anything, but because of who I am. Not who you are, but who I am. That's why God wants to bless and has the power to bless you, which is why we don't like it when God blesses somebody we don't like. I didn't rate them to my level of approval, but God chooses to bless them anyway. I love that. I love that. I say that because so many of us have a problem and we don't think about that way about God. Maybe because of a relationship in our past, maybe because of a bad father or lack of a father in a home or because of our family. There's just something in us that sees God as an absentee landlord or an angry deity where all of these strings are attached to any good thing he wants to do. All of these conditions that will go with the blessing or his love or his grace or approval. Maybe if I read the Bible more, then God will bless me. Maybe if I go to church more, then God will bless me. There's this kind of if-then to our understanding of God. That's how people often work. That's how our world works. You know, if you're talented, if you're successful, if you're redeemed attractive, if you have a high GPA, then you'll be loved, accepted, and embraced. But not so with God, which is quite amazing. Not with God. You see, with God, there's no if-then. There's just this promise. I will bless you. It interrupts our lives. It interrupts human history. And these unthinkable words stand out. I will bless you. No earning it. No proving it. It's just grace. Now you would think from that promise from Almighty God, I will bless you. That would bring out the best in Jacob and his confidence. But it doesn't. Not with old Jake. He's really good. We don't see a man full of faith. We don't see a man full of confidence. We see a man gripped by fear and clinging to what he thinks he should have, his possessions. He tricks his brother Esau out of the birthright. Now, by the way, the birthright gave you two-thirds of the family inheritance, two-thirds of accumulated wealth. Then he deceives his father by dressing up like his brother to receive for himself the family blessing, which only belonged to the firstborn, not him, the secondborn. Jacob's life is a picture of grace misunderstood. If God wants me to be blessed, then I should probably have this and have this and that and that. Then our lives become more and more about trying to cling to or hold on to tightly things we believe are what will bless us. Jacob's name actually means to grab or deceive. He's called a heel grabber. And he is a pro at both, clinging to what he thinks will be a blessing in his life. It doesn't just come out in this bad behavior. We see it in the depths of his soul, in his private, intimate conversations with God. Wow. After he runs away from home, listen to this vow he makes with God. This is Genesis 28, verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and if God will watch over me on this journey that I'm taking now and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear and a Bentley to drive and a gated community to live in so that I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be Bethel or God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll be sure to give you a tenth. Do you see the if-then in this prayer? By the way, this is before the Mosaic Law. This is the guy talking about tithing 
all the way back 430 years before there was a Moses or a law or anything already. Okay, just by the way. So it's not from God to Jacob, this, this vow. It's from Jacob to God. Jacob is sort of weaving these conditions into his faithfulness. God, if you are with me, then I'll be faithful. God, if you bless me, then I will be faithful to you. Of course, we do it all the time. God, if you give me that promotion, then I'll be able to be generous. I'm stingy right now and fearful, but if you'll give me that promotion and that increase, I, then I will be generous. God, if you give me that relationship, then I'll be able to live with more integrity. God, if you bless me, then I can do something for you. <laughs> we're, it's like, a, it's like a, we're bartering with God. See, notice what Jacob wants most in this prayer. So that I return safely. See, there's always with Jacob a so that, so that I return safely, not so that my relationship with my brother Esau gets restored. Oh, no, not so that there is redemption and wholeness brought back to my family that I basically tore apart through my own deception and actions. But here's why I'll be faithful, so that I'm safe. Does anybody else feel like God's job is just to make you safe? at whatever cost, no matter what else happens, so that I am safe, so that I'm okay. Then I love how Jacob includes this prayer. He, he, he finishes it by saying, God, just in case you're worried about what you get out of the deal, just in case you're worried about what's in it for you, how about this? After you build up all this wealth and prosperity for me, I'm going to give you back 10%. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. I'm, I'm absolutely impressed. I'm amazed. Uh, thank you for that gratuity. You know, okay, God, thanks for all you've done for me. I, I'm going to give you 10%. I'm thinking God must be saying, oh, Jacob, dear God, you are so generous. Wow. You'll get patriarch of the month. I mean, wow. I, I mean, what he's talking about is a tip. He, God's given him cattle and goats and sheep and flocks and maids and servants and has given well, if you'll do all this stuff for me, then I'll give you maybe 10%. See, Jacob is consumed by these words, I will bless you. He's consumed so much, he stays in this posture of negotiation year after year, decade after decade. We see him accrue all of this wealth and property and prosperity. And you would think that once he's built up this great life, he would be more free, he'd be more at ease, right? He would be more generous. He would be more relaxed. He would be more confident. But that's not what we find out. Later in the story, God calls Jacob to return home. Now, Jacob's not worried about his relationships or his family or his brother. He's just consumed with fear about all his stuff. Listen to what his plan is. It says, in great fear and distress. Boy, those are words that capture our culture today. Everywhere you go, every channel you turn on, it's great fear and distress. Yeah. I mean, turn it off. Yeah. You know, I watched a restaurant empty half full when that thing that sounds like Amber Alert comes up on your phone to scare everybody. Wow, great move, government. Just great, great move. And then the businesses are smashed. Cancellations come. I want to throw the phone across the room. Said so that was beyond stupid. Even the doctors that I happened to be with said that is moronic. Anyway, so much for that. I don't want to go too far because then you'll get mad at me and I'll probably say too much. 
But that, that, that fear stuff is not from God. All right? I'll, I know this is my last service. I don't care. I don't think I can die until God says so. If you read Old New Testament, but his time was not yet come. His time was not yet come. You can delay me. You can attack me, but you can't kill me. My time had not yet come. If I'm doing the will of God, he abides forever. That's scripture, clear scripture. And that means that if I'm doing what God called me to do, you can attack me, but you can't kill me. Not till my time has yet come. Now, I don't care if it's cancer or COVID or, or, what, or it may be some family bloodline, some condition or whatever it is. I say again, you could hurt me, but you can't kill me. You can't do it until God has the last word. And that is you, scripture after scripture where God intervenes, God preserves. He's not through with you. But if he's through with you, you can dress up in a rubber outfit and a helmet. You're going to die. But if not, you're not. So quit living in that fear. We got a 99% recovery rate, for God's sake. 99%. That's the doctors. So I could get it. Yeah, I could get it. And I'll take the medication if I'm supposed to. I'll pray fervently and I'll get out of the thing because I'm not appointed to die yet. I'll be all right. What are you afraid of, for God's sake? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I don't want to live that toxic fear. So don't watch so much of these channels and on your social media. Be careful what you allow into your mind. As a man thinks, so is he. Who's shaping your thoughts? It ought to be God's word. I am begotten of God, the wicked one touches me not. I am blood-bought, redeemed, justified, sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. No plague shall come near my dwelling. On the cross he bore my sickness, my disease, my pain, and my infirmity. It doesn't mean I won't ever get sick. It means I'll get well. Unless God is finished with me. In which case... Sayonara. <laughs> Adios, amigo. Goodbye. Genesis 32, verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes to attack me, because he was going to kill me, if he attacks one group, then the other group will be saved. Now, it may sound like he's doing a real generous thing, but what he's not doing is going out on his own to meet his brother to receive the consequences for his deception. But instead, to protect all that he has earned and accumulated, he's going to divide it in half. So at least, if Esau attacks, I have half my wealth left over. He's so calculated with his stuff. To save myself, I only have to sacrifice half of my people. Way to go, Jacob. What a wonderful man of God you are. I'll put you on my dash. You're willing to sacrifice half your people. Then Jacob goes to God again. We see this pattern in his prayer over and over. Some scholars say that Jacob isn't praying at all. He's just bargaining and manipulating God. He says, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your family, and I will make you prosper reminding God of the good promise he gave. Verse 10, Genesis 32, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown me. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps of people and flocks and herds and wealth. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now that sounds like he's having a great conversation with God, but at its root, he's wheeling and dealing. He's bargaining. 
He's holding God to his word. God, you said I would prosper, so clearly you have to bring this result. And I have all this stuff that you blessed me with, and if I lose it, guess who's going to look bad? No, you are. See, it sounds kind of absurd when I say it, but what's more absurd is that kind of thinking is in my heart, and I kind of believe something like that, that what I often call faith in my own life is my own bargaining, my own kind of trying to manipulate God into giving me what I think I need and want because God said, I will bless you, Rick. I call it faith, but it's really my list of demands. Make my job better, make my marriage better, make my financial security better. But here's what's kind of ironic and actually tragic. When we get stuck in this place, Jacob had accrued so much. He built such a life for himself. But was he more confident? No, he's still chicken little. Was he more secure? Not at all. Fear and anxiety, great fear. Did that sound like the prayer of a man secure in his life? Absolutely not. See, Jacob spent most of his life obsessing over how he was to be blessed. See, being blessed doesn't have anything to do with how much you have. See, as he spent this time obsessing over this, what is so interesting is the answer was right in front of him. And the answer goes all the way back to the promise, I will bless you. Now, it's pretty clear to me, Jacob held on to those words. What we don't see in his life is the rest of that verse. God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Here's the thing, you can't have one without the other. Another way to frame it might be like this. The only way to experience blessing in life is to be a blessing in life. A blessing for who? Well, for Jacob. It could have been any number of people. Could have been his brother Esau, who he had a broken relationship with, who he had cheated and, and, you know, was deceptive. It could have been his wife Leah, who he didn't love. It could have been half his servants and family whose lives he was easily going to throw away in case Esau was going to attack. He didn't care about them. It could have been strangers he met or people in need along the way. So Jacob misunderstood grace. Yeah, we receive it. We don't earn it. Yeah, we give it. We can't just keep it. And this is how the kingdom of God works. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. A good question to ask yourself. Am I? Would anybody say, I'm a blessing? Have I enriched anybody's life? You don't have to have much to do it. It could be anything from finances to love to encouragement to a card to food, a service, a help, anything. I love how the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament. He wrote these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. See the so that? God has a purpose for everything he does. And for prosperity, for blessing you, God says, so that you can be a blessing. What that means is that blessings in your life are not just for you. The great education you have is not just for you. The great job you have is not just for you. The great talent you've been given is not just for you. The great marriage you're in is not just for you, but that somebody else can be blessed and somebody else can flourish. God always has a purpose beyond you, beyond me. You know, one of the reasons I love being part of our church is because it's written into our DNA and our vision. Love people, bring hope, impact our community. See, we're a Jesus church. 
We're not a black church, white church, Hispanic church, a Democrat church, Republican church. Gag me. We're a Jesus church. I'm gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ, period. We will always be a Jesus church in authentic community with each other because life change doesn't happen outside of relationship. Doesn't happen. In community, that's where it happens. So that, so that everybody in the San Antonio area we have contact with can flourish. See, we're not just here to be a good place for people to go on Sunday. We're not here just to be a good church that people can attend. We're here so that everybody in our sphere of influence in a San Antonio area can flourish. The under-resourced can flourish. The poor can flourish. The lonely can flourish. The lost can find transformation, forgiveness, and healing. Those left in marginal lives can flourish. You know, one of the things uh, that I love we do is the Christmas blast. Here, we, we, we're, we're a blessed people. We can be a blessing. If I want more blessing, give and you shall receive. And so we're raising the money to take care of all the children in Bear County Child Protective Services. We've been doing it since 2008. Every child gets the Christmas gift they want. And this year, it's a little over 1,800 kids that we have to service. We have tags at each exit of a child, an age, whether it's girl or boy, and what they want. You can take that tag, gift wrap it, bring it back, and we're going to make those kids have a Merry Christmas. We want to be a blessing to our community and to those who can't bless back. God says, what you make happen for someone else, I'll make happen for you. Not they'll make it happen back, I will make it happen for you. I don't want to be indebted to waiting for you to bless me back. I want God to bless me back. That's a lot better deal. So I'm encouraging you, if you're watching online, you can give above your normal giving on impact. And that goes right to Christmas blast. And I hope you'll be generous with it. Well, is it a big vision? Sure it is. Do we have a long way to go? Absolutely we do. But can you find in Scripture any other vision for the church? None. That's it. I mean, no matter who's president, no matter what disease, no matter what the economy's doing, our mission never changes. Our strategy, how we do it, has to adapt. If you lived in communist China with 60 million believers, how you have church has to change. But you have it, and you convert people, and you witness, and you help people. God can, God can prosper in almost any environment. The church is God's eternal purpose. It ain't going anywhere. The government can't shut it down. It is eternal. It will last forever. The administration won't. Nations won't. Leaders won't. But God's kingdom and his church, he says, is eternal. It will never end. So God says, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. Get that. See, you can't have one without the other. So church is not just a place to go to, to attend, or an event to attend. You know, maybe there's some great music or a sermon you hear, but it, if the church is just an event to attend, eventually it'll get stale. You're going to feel a little burned out. You're going to feel like it kind of dries up. Maybe you look for another flavor of the month. The God we praise here, the God we learn about here, the God we experience through community and relationship here isn't teaching us and equipping us just to receive his blessing. He's teaching us, equipping us, and training us to be a blessing in your school, in your job, in your business, in your family and friends, wherever it is. This is the great legacy of the church. It's an amazing legacy, but it actually goes all the way back 2,000 years ago to the beginning of the church. That's where we see the history of this DNA alive and at work, enriched in every way 
so that you can be generous on every occasion. We see that at work. Listen to how one historian writes about the early church, and I quote, unlike members of other clubs and societies that collected dues and fees to pay for feasts and celebrations, members of the Christian family contributed money voluntarily to a common fund to support orphans abandoned in the streets and garbage dumps. Christian groups brought food, medicine, and companionship to prisoners forced to work in mines, banished to prison islands, held in jail. Christians even bought coffins and dug graves to bury the poor and criminals whose corpses would have laid unburied outside city gates. Such generosity, which ordinarily could only be expected from your own family, attracted crowds of newcomers to Christian groups despite all the risks, end quote. That's actually an understatement. The church grew in leaps and bounds in those early years. For 300 years, the church grew 40% per year. It was the fastest movement in human history. Why? Well, not because they were blessed, but because they were the blessing. And they grew and they exploded. They understood the blessing paradox. I will bless you, so you will be a blessing. Now, you don't have to try to save the world. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have a master plan. You don't have to control the outcomes. The confidence paradox is that in God's ability to work through us, not in our ability to have a master plan to save the planet. God says, I can use whatever you bring as long as you're not holding tightly to it. Now, if you're wondering, well, where do I start? There are so many needs, Rick. There are so many problems or needs. Well, yeah, here's what I tell you. Just pick one. Just start with one. One person, one need, one issue, one ministry partner we work with. Just start with one. It could be a person you, you, you see on a regular basis on a street. Uh, it might be a ministry in our church that needs a helping hand. It might be one of our ministry partners we work with in other ministries we support that needs people to show up, to bless, to smile, to shake hands or, or give prayer to. Just start with one. See, you don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to be at a certain level in life. Even the youngest can bless. I think about some of the moments in my past life when I took a risk to share, to give, or to serve. I can't think of a time when I didn't feel more alive, a little more joy, a little more blessed, a little more of Jesus than in those moments. For example, what can you do this week? You know, uh, you, you don't do this on demand. You do it when the Lord prompts your heart to do it. It might be a dental person and you know of a of a impoverished single mom and maybe there's a problem with one of her children they can't afford the dental care and you just say that's part of my giving i'll just take care of it don't make any celebration about it don't want it to get out or everybody will run in trying to get something free no it's something you do out of your own heart or a surgeon saying to a family, I've hooked up some doctors with different people that had impoverished families, no financial, no medical, and they were able at their own volition to take care of that need. Well, that's being a blessing, right? Sure it is, to help somebody. You walk out and you see a single mom, it looks like a car is about to fall apart. It depends on your level of blessing. I, Cindy and I have many times just out of the blue, I felt we heard somebody talking about a need and on that occasion, we could fix it. 
And I thought, let's fix that. And when we did fix it, I told the people we helped, I said, here's my rule. Number one, you don't tell anybody who did it. And number two, when you're able, you do it for somebody. Pass it on, right? Do it. There's somebody you can help. Maybe it's giving something to. Maybe it's uh, uh, providing food. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe uh, you could give advice as an attorney free to somebody who is getting stepped on but needs help. You could be a blessing. God didn't give you power, position, finances, resources, or connections just for you but to open a door for somebody else, to bless somebody else. And guess what? As you give that blessing, you get more blessing on you. That's how you, you're blessed to be a blessing. So the question is, what's stopping you? See, if you think about it, we, we got a couple of thousand people over a week here and online who gather every weekend. That means crowds of people looking for parking, people who will sing a song, people who will hear a really, 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 really great sermon. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kidding. That I try. There are lots of people who will have a cup of coffee. What if those same people started with just one? What if those same people committed to others to see their lives blessed, to see them have a future, to see them experience hope? Just think of what God could do with that. Think of what God will do with that. This week, I challenge you, don't premeditate. Just go with the flow and say, Lord, this week as you get up tomorrow, Help me recognize, hear, or see some way, whether small or great, I could be a blessing. And don't let your left hand know what the right hand's doing so God can bless you. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they blew trumpets when they did something for somebody so everybody would notice. Don't post it on social media how great I am. Just do it privately, and God says, I will reward you openly, right? I've had people bless me on occasion, on an occasion, and I've been able to take that blessing many times where I felt somebody had a, a bigger need and just stick it in their hand and to bless them, to pass it on. I never feel like, yeah, I lost out on that deal. No, I didn't lose out on that deal. Been doing it for years. I want you to do it and to experience the goodness of God as you bless other people. Maybe somebody needs encouragement. Somebody got laid off from work. Hey, I'm going to take you out to dinner. What can we do? God's for you. We're going to get through this together. You're not alone. Be a blessing. Don't just suck up blessing. Give it out, and you'll get a whole lot more. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? I challenge you this week. Seek to be a blessing, however small it might be, however big it might be. Don't back off blessing somebody you have the power to bless because they're bigger than you. Don't do that. Be a blessing. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to others. I want to be a blessing to our community, to our city, to those who watch online. I want to bless people, encourage people. This is a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of a transformation. He loves you unconditionally, and he just will bless your socks off. Give him that opportunity. Be honest with him. Don't manipulate him. Just walk in the authority that I am blessed and highly favored. And you are. You, whoever you are, you are blessed and highly favored. Jesus, you've enriched us in every way. Sometimes we get so focused on that, we let the fear and distress of what we might lose 
Bind us to the ways we can give, that we can love, that we can lead, that we can share, that we can serve. It's so amazing because we wonder why it is all of the things we want to accumulate and store up for ourselves, we wonder why, well, at the end, it doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't satisfy us. I don't feel content. I don't feel confident. But that was never the source of the blessing stuff. You are God. You are the source. Because you've given us so much, we have an opportunity to experience blessing like we've never imagined as we give, as we serve, as we share, as we take a risk. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.